You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Cool. So if you were here last week, we discussed guilt and regret um, at length. And, and, la- and this week, I really want to build on that foundation because like we talked about, guilt and shame are so intimately linked. But here's the difference, right? And we talked about this last week, but to recap, guilt and regret center around actions, what we've done or what we've left undone, that I've done something bad and I feel guilty about it, or I've left something undone and I regret that. But shame is different. Shame centers around identity, not that I've done something bad, but but I am something bad. Not that I've done something wrong, but something is wrong with who I am. And so that, that's, the, that's the difference. Shame is difference. Shame is certainly related to guilt and regret, but shame occurs when, when guilt over certain actions kind of goes haywire, right? When, it, when the actions that we've done have so affected us that we can't not identify ourselves with them. Or bad actions that were done to you were also unable to unidentify with them. They, they become part of who we are. Right? Guilt turns to shame when the actions that caused us to feel, guilt, feel guilty become unremovable from who we are as, as humans. We can't separate what we've done or what's been done to us from who we are. I probably couldn't talk about shame without talking about the famous Houstonian Brene Brown who, who studies and talks about it. And she agrees that shame is this pervasive uh, identity issue. It, it, it seeps into all aspects of our life. Dr. Brown says that shame occurs when, when an ideal identity, an, an identity that we want and dream to be true for our lives is in conflict with the identity that that we know to be true, or the one that we see to be true, right? So, shame is this tension and this gap between um, an ideal self, an ideal image that we desire for our lives, and, and the reality, or what we perceive to be the reality of our lives. Shame is the realization that, that we've failed to close the gap, that we can't close the gap on our own between what we what we wish our ideal self would be and what, and what we are. And it's not, it's not just an individual issue. It's not just internal. It, it's shame says there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me, and others can see it. Others can see what's wrong with me, and I'm afraid if they look closer or dig deeper that they will see much more. They will see who I really am, that I'm defiled, or guilty, or dirty, or worthless, or worth less than everyone else around me. I think one of the new ways that our culture is grappling with shame is in the social media space, like Instagram or other things, uh, Facebook, Twitter. And the idea is that we can create an online self that is ideal, and at least in one place, control that image so that it matches what we desire for our lives. 
even if the reality is much different than our, than our online presence. And look, in preparing this week, I've realized that that's how I use social media, right? I, I've noticed that I want, I want you to see my life as more perfect than it is. I want you to think that my life is better than it is. I don't want you to see how I fall short of my ideal images. And for me, that means husband, father, son, friend, and pastor, right? These identities that I value, but I also know that in all of them, I don't quite measure up. But I don't say that to be self-deprecating. I say that because it's true, (laughs) So for me and for you, if that resonates with you, for me, I need something that will help me defeat shame. I need an ideal image for myself that matches the reality. I need the gap to be closed, right? This ideal image that I have for my life, it needs to match what I perceive to be the reality. But for most of us, we know that this is absolutely impossible, that our ideal self is, is so far from what our real self is. So we have two questions to grapple with. First, what should our ideal self be? What is the standard for which we should, we should strive for? What should our ideal self be? And second, how should we view our true self? How do we look internally at the reality of who we are? So let's, let's honestly look at those things together. And so we'll, let's, let's look in the psalm, Psalm 32, and here's how it starts. And this is the Word of God. Again, the psalms are the Word of God. The author is David, who we talked about last week, a famous king of Israel. But, but this is the Word of God spoken through him. And so this is how Psalm 32 starts. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So right out of the gate, in Psalm 32, we have a proclamation of identity. Those who have been forgiven, they are what? They're not put to shame. They are Blessed. Blessed are the ones who have been forgiven. And to be forgiven implies that they have done something wrong, that they have sinned. And yet God's word here says, if you're forgiven, blessed are you. You're blessed. If your sin is covered, if your sin is forgiven. And so what we need to excavate is and discover together is how could this be true? Let's keep reading. Uh, In verse 3, it says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So shame here. It is this slow burn. It's this constant groaning, often in silence. It's isolating. And shame at the same time says, everyone is looking right at me and can see all of it, and yet nobody can know. For the psalmist, their sorrow is heavy, 
and they keep silent. Why does the psalmist feel this way? Well, verse 5 tells us that there was sin to be confessed. And last week we talked about the author of this psalm, um, King David, the famous king of Israel, right? And if you remember the story, we talked about a lot of evil and egregious sins that David committed. With all those sins, David prays, your hand was heavy upon me. And for David, that means that shame is linked to God's judgment. Judgment of God for his sin, right? That, that he deserves punishment, that he deserves wrath, that he deserves God's heavy hand. See, David knows that he doesn't measure up. He knows that there's this chasm between what he desires for his identity, righteous, pure, free of sin, and there's a, there's a chasm between that and the reality, sinful, evil. And that chasm is filled with shame. And see, with shame, there's always sin. Shame is as ancient as sin itself. And whether we feel shame about sin we commit or whether we feel shame about sin done to us, where there is shame, there is sin. So, where did this come from? Well, if you're familiar with the way the Bible begins, um, there's a famous story about the first humans, Adam and Eve. And in this story, God told Adam and Eve that they can't eat from a specific tree. But the serpent lies to them and tells them to eat from that tree anyway, and they do it. And at that moment... Adam and Eve become the first humans in the history of all history to disobey God. And in doing so, the very first fallen emotion they feel is shame. They, the story tells us they realize that they're naked. And in an attempt to cover up their shame, they sew fig leaves together for clothing and then they hide from God. See, Adam and Eve are awakened in that moment to their disobedience. They're awakened to the truth that they have failed to meet the ideal. One rule, don't eat from the tree. And now the chasm has been created. This is a horrible moment in our history. And it's horrible because the shame that they felt that they were unworthy, that they were disobedient, that they had done something wrong, all those things were true. Their shame is actually merited. They, they were disobedient. And that's how our history starts. And likewise, the, the author of this psalm, Psalm 32, is David, a descendant of Adam and Eve, and David, like this, with all the sin that we talked about last week that's in his life, he's groaning in shame. So just like when Adam and Eve were facing their sin, their sin, David is also facing his, and he feels shame. 
the, the psalm says that he kept silent about it. He tried to hide it. He tried to push it down, but it eats away at him that his bones start to waste away. So where does David turn? What, what does he do? Well, verse 5 shows us that David's way forward was confession, just like we talked about last week, that he, he becomes self-aware. He's honest about himself. He's honest about his sin before God. He brings it to the Lord, and he says, God, you, for, you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. He confesses his sin before the Lord, and he believes that the Lord has forgiven him for those sins. He knows that, David knows that forgiveness is available to those who go to God. He knows this because he continues verse, in verse 6 this way. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And so last week, we, when talking about guilt and regret, we remembered that for those of us in Jesus, for those of us who follow Jesus and believe in Him for who He is and what He's done, those actions that cause us to feel guilty are forgiven on the cross. That Jesus is na- was nailed to a Roman cross, and He died for you, and He died for me, and He died for every individual instance and action of sin Every single instance that we broke God's perfect law. All of those individual actions are nailed to the cross. They're placed on Jesus who takes the punishment that we deserved. So to look back to the garden, in the garden, when God finds Adam and Eve in their shame and their attempts to cover it, God does what? God kills an animal as a sacrifice, and close them with their, the animal's skin. And fast forward to Jesus, God sends His Son and He kills another, not an animal, but His own Son, precious and perfect, who did no wrong as a sacrifice to once again cover our shame. And now David says, surely in the waters our sins will not reach him. And he says, we are more than forgiven, more than our sin being forgiven and overlooked. They're removed. Our sins are forgotten by the God of the universe because they were placed on his son, Jesus. So Jesus becomes our hiding place. He preserves us. He delivers us from our sins, and instead of being found guilty, we are found innocent. So, that, that's the recap from last week, but, but here is shame. So, some of you are like, I get that. I get that my individual actions have been forgiven and that I've been wiped clean and made righteous, but I still feel unworthy. I still feel defiled. I still feel wrong. That is shame. Shame will 
allow you to mentally affirm that, yes, Jesus did die for that specific thing that I felt guilty about, so the bad thing is forgiven, but, but what if I am the bad thing? Like, what if, what if I am the thing that's wrong? What if it's not that I've done wrong, but I am wrong? It's easy to start believing that, especially when you struggle with habitual sin, right, sin that's repetitive or even addictive. It's easy to slide from the belief that those individual instances are forgiven to the belief that, man, like maybe I'm just broken. Maybe I'm just unfixable. Maybe I just don't have a part in God's kingdom. We need to remember that, yes, when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place, and he took the sin of his people, the church, he took those individual instances of sin on himself. But we can't forget what happened when he rose from the grave. When he rose from the grave, he, he showed us that God accepted the payment, that, that the payment that Jesus made on our behalf was sufficient. And that means that anyone who would believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and believe that he did take their sin and rise in victory from the grave, that they would be forgiven. And the psalm calls the forgiven blessed. See, the resurrection is the key to our identity change. When Jesus raises, he allows you to kill your old life of sin and shame and rise in a new way into a new life and into a new identity. And this is the good news that when God sent His Son to take punishment on our behalf, and when that Son rose from the dead, that Son also sent His Holy Spirit to us, which means that, that we live in a current reality and a future reality the current reality is that our identity has been changed by God so that the ideal identity for all of us meets the reality for those of us who follow Jesus. And the future reality is that this is a work in progress, that there is a day coming where those realities will perfectly sync up. But the way God sees us currently is righteous. This is from Ephesians 2. It says, You are dead in your trespasses and sins, carrying out your desires, children of wrath, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive, changed our identity, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. We are His workmanship. So, because we have the Spirit of God through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Not only will we experience the fullness of blessedness as those who have been forgiven, but we are now empowered to walk in obedience and faith out of that forgiveness. So shame is, is defeated by our faith in what Jesus has done. And shame is defeated by walking in obedience, which we can do by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God. 
So this is, this is what this means, that the ideal self that we all strive for is defined by God, and the ideal self is this, perfection, which is bad news, but God. Because it says, and God, rich in mercy, he sent Jesus, his son, to live that ideal life that we could never live, a perfect life. But Jesus dies, and in dying, our sins are dealt with, and we are made perfect. And because Jesus is, has rose from the dead, we are raised in a new identity and given the powerful Holy Spirit to live into perfection. Our lives will slowly transform into Jesus' perfect life. Because our current identity has been changed to son, daughter, co-heir, seated with Christ on the throne and empowered by the Spirit of God. God did it all. So as we finish up this morning and wrap up this entire series on our emotions and our emotional baggage, my question is this. Who is your ideal self who do you believe the image of your life should look like? And listen, God's vision for your life is better than your own. God's vision for your life, God's ideal image for you is better than anything you could muster. And it's only through him that you can achieve the ideal vision for your life. He sets the ideal, and in and through him, he raises us to meet us, meet it. The gap is closed. Our identity can be fixed. Shame can be gone. But only through believing in Jesus and surrendering your life to him will you realize this. Will realize how impossible it is for you or me to to achieve our own flawed standards, let alone God's perfect standards. But by believing in Him, you will realize that in coming to Him, you have been made into the image that your soul has yearned for, that God has made you His son and His daughter, that He has made you a co-heir of the kingdom, and that when He returns, we will dwell in unity, celebration, and love with him and his people for the rest of time. Shame has no power when we realize that through and in Jesus we are forgiven and our identity is blessed. So if you've experienced shame, maybe not over things you've done, but things that have been done to you, let me say this, that your shame is telling you that you are worth less than everyone else, that you deserved what happened, that you are unworthy. But you, too, should hear this, that the God of all things became human and died for you, and if you are in Christ, you are much more worthy, worthy to be called co-heir, worthy to be called son and daughter, beloved and blessed, member of the family of God. And at the day of His coming, you will rise with full honor before God.
So my encouragement, whether you, whether you struggle with shame because of things you've done or you struggle with shame because of things done to you or a combination of both, would you believe in him and what he's done and who he says you are and press into your identity? Don't believe the lie that whispers or shouts that you're dishonored, that you're unworthy, that you are less than. Would you believe in the shout of the risen God who calls you worthy, honorable, daughter, son, beloved, and believe in the power of the Spirit that He has sent you that allows you to walk into obedience, faith, righteousness? Just like for David, realizing and believing in our identity transformation will cause us to worship. It will cause us to praise him. It will cause us to trust him. It will break the power of shame over us, and it will cause us to spread the message of joy and hope. As we wrap up all of this whole series, people... You need to know that there are people in your life that need to hear this gospel, that there is a God who is God over anxiety, over anger, over depression, over guilt, and over shame. In our world, whether they know it or not, they're drowning in shame. And if you doubt that, I encourage you to befriend a non-believer and start asking them deep questions. Ask them who, who they see themselves as, what they struggle with, who they wish they were. Ask them how they view themselves and ask them how they think God would view them. My guess that we'll, is that we'll start to uncover shame together. But my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is that you as a disciple of God are equipped to give them the message that can and will save them. We have a message that will save people from earthly shame and save them into an eternal dwelling of comfort and unity and honor. I want to encourage you that you are equipped to deliver this message of good news with your friends and family who struggle with shame. And because you have been forgiven, they can be forgiven too, and blessed are the forgiven. Blessed are the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who through Jesus have been transformed from death to life. Blessed are those who will one day rise again as new men and new women and dwell with the Lord forever. So as we wrap up, let's pray that we would be a community that uncovers shame together, not to expose how bad we are, not to make each other feel worse or like dirt, but let's uncover shame so we can preach the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's come to the table this morning and celebrate in remembrance of the cost that Jesus paid to forgive us and to change our identity. And as we go out this week, will we remind each other of the honor, dignity, worth, and value that the God of the universe decrees over us and that our identities flow from the work of a worthy Savior.
Let's begin to see ourselves and each other the way God sees us. And when we leave here and engage people this week with the story of the God who forgives in mercy, who takes those in shame and raises them to honor. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come before you maybe guilty, maybe ashamed, maybe regretful, maybe we're still anxious, maybe we're still angry, maybe we're struggling with depression. Lord, would you, through your psalms, through your word, give us the tools to speak truth, to pray truth, to worship. Lord, when it comes to shame, would you, by your spirit right now, Speak peace into those in these seats that are, that are overwhelmed with their shame. Would you tell them that they are loved? Would you whisper to them, son, daughter, my beloved, my blessed, I love you. Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgotten. Your identity has been transformed. You are a son and a daughter of the king, a brother or sister of Jesus. And you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of power whose power is made best in your weakness. God, who needs to hear that this morning? Would they hear it? Would they receive it? And when we walk in the obedience that your Spirit has allowed us to, has afforded us to, a powerful, mighty God, rich in mercy. And Lord, we as a people of sojourn be a people who run with this message to those who need to hear it. I confess that often I make up excuses that uh, that would be uncomfortable, that would be awkward when my friends are dying and drowning in shame. And they need to be rescued. And you can do it, Lord. We'll be encouraged by your grace and your love and the identities that you have given us. Will we not forget it? Lord, as we come to the table, would we remember who you are and who you have made us to be? Lord, we love you. We trust you. Complete the work in us. Comfort us and be near. We praise you and we pray all this in your name. Amen.